Welcome to The Agents Angle, the premier podcast bringing you news, views and opinions from the football agents industry with me, Jonathan Booker. And me, Peter Pellulogis. In this episode of The Agents Angle, we'll be talking about players taking the lead with their club contract negotiations and also the use of data by players and agents. In addition to that, we have an interview with a former English Premier League scout and look to get his insights on the overlap between agents and scouts in terms of both skill sets and approaches. All that to come on The Agents Angle. How are you, Jonathan? Not too bad. Enjoying the Women's World Cup, continuing to enjoy watching that. Some great performances, some good matches, but also keeping an eye on the transfer window. With the English football season already started and the Premier League due to start this weekend at the time we're recording this. Yes, uh, the Premier League transfer window. A lot of people are, are watching that closely. And one interesting article that relates to Manchester United, I know that a lot of Manchester United fans, was the signing of Rasmus Holland. Um, And the article's entitled, Rasmus Holland has done three things that Harry Kane couldn't to prove Eric Den Haag right. It was an interesting article, not just for the the move by Rasmus to Manchester United, which was estimated about 60 million plus, but more importantly for me was paragraph, and I'll read this, this reports that he moved to a new agency the SEG agency, they're a Dutch-based agency, very international, which also presents Den Haag, the coach of Manchester United, on a three-month trial. So a three-month short-term, if I call it a contract or a mandate to an agent. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it certainly caught my eye as well. The story as a whole, I think, is a real positive. It really is for me, and the player seems to be taking control of the agency aspect of his representation. From a personal perspective, one of the biggest frustrations for me from from my time as an agent is when players say, I will sign for you when you get me a club. I'm sure you've come across that line, Peter, from time to time. I have, and it happens this part of the world as well, in Australia and in Asia. I'll give you a mandate, says the player, if you get interest from the club. So you have to get the interest first before you even get the mandate. So... That is concerning because being a lawyer myself, you want the paperwork in order before you proceed to negotiate or start working on any prospective deal. For me, it's it's majorly frustrating because it shows a lack of commitments and trust first from the player. Two, it's arguably a breach of the agent regulations in many cases that they want you to represent them without an agreement in place. And three, I can accept it when it's an existing client you can trust with regards to a new rep agreement a player may well turn around to you and say if we can secure my contract with such and such club or get an extension here for the next couple of years i have no problem extend my representation agreement but can you trust a totally new client to honor it from experience i very much doubt it as some players are just as honorable as some agents when it comes to trust now on this hoyland contract i think it's really good I myself have proposed similar agreements to players and also as suggestions to other agents or a representation agreement with an extension if certain obligations are met or even the reverse of this where you might have a longer term agreement but with a break clause if an obligation isn't met. I think it puts the onus back on the agents or the agency to perform and puts the player in control as I've already said. That should be the case with all representation agreements between an agent and a player. Now, the reason why it's so good, like this one's turned out well, the player's got the move that he wanted, that he expected the agency, so everybody's happy. But when things go wrong with agency representation agreements, either because of laziness, lies, miscommunication on either side, these rep agreements are incredibly difficult slow and costly things to resolve in the majority of cases and it helps no one it doesn't help the player doesn't help the clubs involved doesn't help the agents doesn't help the authorities now peter we've both dealt with agent representation disputes probably more you as a legal advisor than me as a mediator so do you agree that is the case it's better to get these problems 
avoided early on and know exactly where people stand and look to an extension or a break clause so that you don't have these conflicts when it comes to representation. Yeah, I think that's very important. I've seen different type of mandates where they sometimes only the geography, the short term, there's no dispute resolution clause, there's no um, ability to negotiate an extension. So there are a lot of problems with these type of arrangements. But but I agree. We see a lot of players that give mandates to different agents. I've been in situations where I've approached a club and they've said someone else has put them forward. We've all been in these situations. So the important thing is whether it's a long-term rep agreement or a short-term mandate that we have certainty. And as an agent, it's about the ability to know that I'm working within a certain framework. If I don't have the paper in place, I can't control the deal. So it has to work on both the player side and the agent side. Now, we can only go on what's in the report. I, lo- I know the media like to try and second guess what exactly the, the determination of these deals is, whether it be a transfer, whether it be a representation agreement with an agency. But as you've just highlighted, there's far more details go on behind the scenes. So unless we actually see the contract, we can't say definitively what happened. Here. No, no, no. Now, from the reports we have, and also those we've spoken to, it's a three-month contract. As I said, without actually seeing the contract, we don't know, one, if it was a three-month contract term or a longer contract with a break clause after three months or a three-month contract with an extension clause built in. When was the start or end of the contract? Did it impact on the transfer window? Does this three-month agreement end with this transfer window? And fortunately for the player, the agents and the club, it's all worked out. But what would happen if the three-month contract ended right at the end of the transfer window or after the window had closed and the player hadn't got that move. We also don't know the obligations of the agent beyond this one main element, and that is the Manchester United element. All in all, it seems a pretty shrewd move from the player, and I think it shows confidence in the agency to be able to deliver and I think it's it's a good example of the way things not necessarily should be done, but could be done by both agents and players. Yeah, I mean, this is a big agency. SEG is one of the big agencies in Holland. So for them to accept a three-month contract, they firstly would be confident that they can get it, the business done. If they've managed the coach, then it's maybe easier. They know that they can speak to the coach as well and say, well, yes, we're interested in this player. So they know they can get the deal done within the three months. However, it just shows the power of the player, especially the players in demand. Now they can they can say, I'll give you a three-month mandate or short term, even to the bigger agencies. And this is going to be a very interesting space to follow. Legally, in terms of where these type of agreements sit, all you need to do is have an agreement up to two years. You can have a three-month, a four-month, a five-month. This may be a sort of new trend where especially, I would say, the players in demand can dictate those terms. And we'll see a little bit more about that with another player that we'll discuss towards the end of this episode. I think it shows that with a bit of creative thinking and really focusing on what players want and agents want and clubs want and what they want to achieve and aligning those with the right sort of agreement, you don't just go with the status quo, here's a two-year rep agreement. Yes, it keeps um, agents on their toes that they have to deliver deals and those as competition for the top players, but also it gives the players confidence that they've got the right people working for them, especially if they've given a mandate with exclusive especially over the transfer window, and especially over the summer windows, because that's where more players tend to move. Yeah. Now, the one thing we can be sure of, however, that in the majority of these situations, especially when it's £64 million transfer, clubs like Manchester United have definitely done their homework in the background. It doesn't matter how charming or persuasive the agent is to get that player the dream move. As mentioned in the past, an agent might be able to pull the wool over a club's eyes, but ultimately it risks damaging the agent's reputation and relationship with the club and others. Now, the most established and traditional way of evaluating players is good old-fashioned scouting. 
So in the age where we hear a lot about data, stats, analytics, and theories akin to Moneyball, we wanted to get the views of someone from the scouting world and hear their perspective on scouting, as well as how it relates to the agency world. So here is our interview with former Premier League and international scout, Jed Searson. And would like to introduce our guest for today's episode of The Agent's Angle. Jed Searson is an experienced and well-respected member of the football scouting community, having worked for clubs across the whole of the English professional football spectrum, from the Premier League to National League, in men's, women's, academy and junior football. In addition to this, he has the experience of working with national teams, football associations, clubs and academies across the world. In addition to over 14 years as a professional scout, he has 28 years experience in coaching and for several years has been the lead tutor for and founder of S4 Scouting, delivering scouting courses to many individuals, clubs, associations and quite a few agents along the way, culminating in his appointment as the head of the newly formed AFCAS, the Association of Football Coaches and Scouts. Jed, welcome to the Agents Angle. And I hope that I haven't missed anything in that introduction. You you might have even added some extra bits in there, uh, well, John, which is never a, never a bad thing. There you go. Well, that's uh, that's pretty much what you paid me. For, <laughs> uh, John, thank you for having me. Uh, no worries. No worries. It, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Jed, if I can just start and taking that introduction into account and all the information there, what was it that first prompted you to become a scout and, and how did it all start? Um, I said, I mean, I was, I started, my background's coaching, as you mentioned now, so 28 years as a coach. Um, I started coaching age 19. Um, it was unusual back then. There's lots of younger coaches there now, but I was a very young coach back in the days where probably the only coaches at that time were generally guys that probably were finished playing or older guys. So I was a young coach and I had my own little football academy in Essex there. I had about 300 players a week coming to training there. And I was doing schools coaching, college coaching, universities. I started managing, in, uh, I was coaching non-league and then I eventually started to manage at non-league as well. Um, and wanted to progress, wanted to get into the professional game. I didn't want to go down the academy scout route commit to that you'd also give away my own business to stop that to fit, fit it in as well and, and i literally attempted my very first scout report on my own back just thought can i have a go at this I had a little template a famous report that was knocking around many years ago that was sort of leaked it was a chelsea scout report on newcastle um it was actually abb uh, andres villas boas did the report and uh and i saw the report and thought, okay let's see if i can do this so i went to a match it was brentford match in league two did it off my own back. My friend was working at uh, Barnet at the time in League Two, and he said, "Look, we're facing Brentford. Can we look at the report?" I said, "Yeah, no, no problem. I'll send it over to you. I'm, I'm sure your lads can do it better than me." And they said, "We don't have any scouts." Um, so it was opportunity knocks. Manager liked it. Young manager at the time, Mr. Ian Hendon, who just started his first uh, manager managerial role. He said, "Would you do this for us every week?" And that was it. My career started, and what my idea was. Maybe I'll do this for a few months and I'll go back and I will uh, I can get maybe a bigger manager's job and have a bit of experience with my belt. And I never went back. That was it. So my, my, my career was, was started from there, really. So I spent two seasons at Barnet, then on to Gillingham um, as opposition scouting. And then I went to West Ham as a first team opposition scout. But also then started to get involved in the recruitment scouting, um, which was another side of scouting completely there as well. That obviously, that led to me becoming a chief scout. Welcome, Jed. Uh, in Australia, we don't have a lot of scouts. In fact, the agents are the scout. Whereas in England, I know there's a big difference or a dichotomy between the scouting and the agents. And I just wanted to ask, what's your general perception? Well, your perception, but also the scouting community in general, perception of agents and the agents industry in England and the UK? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, to be honest, it's funny you said that. Peter now. And obviously, I, I get quite a few guys that are interested in scouting have come and did the workshops from Australia, um, generally from the Melbourne area as well. That seems to be a, a hub or wherever it is, a lot of guys there. And um, and they said the same thing, scouting hasn't really seemed to have uh, 
developed in Australia yet or there isn't enough opportunities or I'm not sure why that is and I've met a few guys um, at the Toulon tournament there was a few of the, the analysts with the actual Australian national team were there and I was discussing them and they, they actually were coaches and they were sort of saying oh scouting hasn't really developed here at the moment so it's, it's an interesting one we'll see how that one goes but with regarding agents it's um it's, it's a strange one because obviously um, agents in general, football community, yeah, it, it, it varies. Um, so you've got some, say, maybe lower scouts or lower league people involved in football there. Probably maybe don't quite really understand what an agent does and, and it can actually tarnish them or, well, how, what are they doing? They're just taking the money out of the game or something like that. But then maybe they don't really understand what an agent actually does and understands the role and what they actually bring. Uh, what where I think if you're actually working in the industry, working at a professional level, you understand a little bit more about the agent's role and what they do. And it's not just a case of actually uh, trying to do transfer deals and moving players on. It's a bit of a player care in there as well. I don't think a lot of people really understand the role of it. Um, I don't think, to be honest, I don't feel a lot of people when they go in to do the agent business necessarily understand what the role is as well. Um, what do you feel about that, Peter? Does that seem to be something maybe you've come across with as well? It, it has. Uh, when, uh, when you're a smaller agent or a medium-sized agent, player care, because you don't have all the other services, player care is fundamentals, as is mentoring, as is the scouting aspect, because you don't have the, those resources, especially in this part of the world, Asia and Australia, where you take a more holistic approach. But you mentioned that you've got certain insights that maybe other scouts don't have in understanding the agent industry or the agents. Have you ever thought or were tempted to be an agent or take down that path? Probably fleetingly a few times. Um, that was all. It wasn't something I thought, no, I, this is something I really want to go down and want to be in this this route there. First and foremost, I know how hard you guys work. Um, that's one part of it straight away. And I think, wow, no, that's, there's an awful lot of um, hard work and hours go into that as well. Okay, is that something I want to take on with what I'm doing or what I have done in football as well? Um I don't know. It was, it was just something I just thought this could be difficult. As I said, it's, it seems to be very hard work for you guys. There's a lot that goes into it as well. Um, maybe finding players, yeah. Um, Networking-wise, yeah, obviously I have that there as well. I mean, but I've never really wanted to be an agent person myself. Um, I hear the other way. This is one I see more often now where agents end up maybe not working as an agent doesn't quite as successful as they expect it to be, then become a scout. This seems to be something that seems to be coming on a little bit more now. And I'm, someone I was even talking to yesterday had done this process. And I'm thinking, okay, all right. So that's something I'm more interested in and understanding why, that, why that's happening as well. When you and I met many years ago, it was the, the strangest of places for an agent and scout to meet because it was actually an FA talent ID course. And there was a huge variety of people in the room from club execs, directors, scouts, heads of recruitment, and even a former Manchester United first teamer there. And yours truly was the only agent in the room. And what I was surprised at on that course was the lack of knowledge of agents and agent regulation. And that was even from those leading the course from the FA. Scouts remain largely unregulated beyond that of the rules set out by their employers if they're employed by a club. Do you think scouts, both new scouts and experienced scouts, are fully aware of the boundaries between agents and scouts when it comes to the regulations? And since that time that we first spoke, do you think it's improved at all? Um, I would say most scouts really have very little understanding of the agent business at all. And and I, I can actually say that even even myself, uh, when I was working with clubs there before I was a chief scout already. Or, and that includes the regulations as well, not just the industry in itself. Completely. Um, now, there, there seems to be more, there's obviously more information now probably available online and, and, and so on and in, in the media now things are maybe a bit more clearer but most scouts will have no idea really with the ins and outs regulations how they can work together what how the, what the agent business is and it, it is it's, it's, it's something now and even i i say to them scouts i work with now or guys that are now becoming chief scouts and stuff that i've, I've told them so on 
And I say to them, go and find out a little bit more about it to understand it as well for, for their purpose as well. But also maybe not to make sure that as a scout, you also you know that you're scouting, you're not getting involved in agent work as well, potentially or somewhere as well. Um, but there is boundaries. But most scouts, I would say, don't really know the regulations then. Obviously, the guys working at the higher end, yes, they will do, and that's, that's part of their job. And generally, a scout itself. Um, but I think, yep, scouts, some scouts really do get involved, do cross over the line slightly and become maybe, would you say, a, a technical bit of a runner for an agent? Is that, is that a good, good I term? I think the, the term runner's being used, yeah, it was the case prior to 2015 when we had an element of runners who were doing, shall we say, questionable agency activity. They were operating as agents on behalf of agencies, even though they were unlicensed. And I think there's elements with the regulations moving forward where that's going to improve. But I think it's a it's a really perilous area. I think, I don't know if you agree with me on this, but I think there's some scouts historically and more so now as there's more independent scouts rather than employed scouts as was highlighted in in many articles like scouts are so undervalued it's covered in mike calvin's book the nowhere men which is a fantastic book for anybody who hasn't read it i don't know if you agree with that but there's this dangerous area where scouts can fall into the trap of undertaking agent activity And as soon as they do that, technically, they're unlicensed agents. So they're not only running a risk to themselves, but they're running a risk to their employers and those they engage with in that. And I think it's a very unstable and unpredictable and dangerous area. And I think that's going to get more so because we've got this area of ambiguity, even within the new FIFA regulations that have been proposed, that scouting services fall outside of agent services. But the fact is they actually overlap quite a lot. I want to pivot to something else and more on your background, your scouting background. Understand you were a scout for the Malawi national football team and that you were basically a scout to look at other teams and look at the performance and look at strategy. But also we saw Morocco who the Morocco Federation over a 10-year plan, I think it was about 10 years, appointed scouts in Holland, France, where there's a big diaspora to recruit players for not just their men's national team, which are very successful, but also their women's national team, which is played here in Australia in the World Cup. Is there a difference between scouting for a club or a national team like Malawi, for instance, and the strategy you employ there compared to given a remit by the Moroccan Federation to find players to join the national team. Do you have a different type of approach if you're in that position? Or I'd just like to know your thoughts on that because from an outside point of view, from an agent point, that seems that two different approaches will be needed in terms of scouting, toolkit or skill set. Yeah, well, first question, the first thing I want to say to you that the Moroccan national football team wouldn't have been as successful as they have been if our players followed the game plan and we actually knocked them out of AFCON because they actually beat us 2-1 in the last 16. Uh, we was actually beaten uh, at one point, but yeah, they've, they've uh, their um, progression has been amazing. To be honest, um, with a, a network of um, of scouts across the Europe, um, every nation's different, but it, it, in Africa it, at the moment it's still developing. And Morocco have obviously been been clever and have got ahead of the um, everyone else straight away, and they're on the ball and they are recruiting players from across Europe. Um, but yeah, no, when, when we were scouting for. Um, Malawi, it was because I, I literally just joined um, the coach I'd worked with previously there, or he was technical director and coach. We worked together previously in the UK, and then he came in and said, Would you come in and help us try and help this team? We're in, we're in the tournament, we're only two months away. Just come in and said, Would you come in? I said, Yeah, I'll, I'll come in and help you guys. I'll, I'll work with you. Do is so, opposition analysis, but also help with our um, independence or our recruitment as well. So, that's on there was a squad was kind of mostly put together they hadn't been performing very well at all at that point uh, in the world cup qualifiers but it was just a case of trying to bring a few more players so we did have to go and scout some of the local players and try to to, to go and assess them and was there a few that had sort of been missed out and so on and there was a few of them that did get picked out and myself and the other the other scouts there and one that potentially we picked out that hadn't been in international hadn't played um, really, his attribute was that he was actually quite a tall centre back compared to the the other centre backs and players at the club were, were very, very short at the 
national team. We had lacked any height, got the player in, and actually an injury in the second match. The guy came, made his international debut, um, done fantastically well. Ended up marking Mane uh, of Liverpool at that time in, in the lot against Sandy Gaum, had a fantastic game. Um, this player actually was on his wages, I think, was something like something ridiculous about £80 a month or something he was on. And then now he's an international player. Bang, he was the first one got a move to the Middle East straight away. Um, but also the, the benchmark, we, we had players offered twice from America that were second or third generation players there. So we'll, when you look at these guys, when we had footage of White Scout and so on, I'm like, okay, but we can't really benchmark player because of the standard they're playing against um, was pretty low, potentially. You're watching players in America and you can see they're playing on college pitches, which has markings for about seven different sports on them. Um, straight away and you're looking think, first of all you think what kind of level is this and he looks quite he looks okay as a player but can we benchmark him can we do it? and then I think one of them did come over and then you realise he wasn't at the level um, but maybe they, they could have gone with another local player instead Data or Big Data Moneyball Scout, Instat Comparisonator the eye test going out seeing players live all those concepts are all scouting concepts and tools where are we now with scouting? Is it platforms and data or is it still the eye test or somewhere in between? It's somewhere in between at the moment. And um, it's at a, I'd say it's kind of at a dangerous point at the moment now um, because some clubs are, or organisations are going very much heavy on the data, uh, which is fine. Uh, and it's, it's got a valued, valid uh, part and it's in, it's and involved in the decision-making process now, but also it's how you use the data. That's really, really important because there's so much of it out there and at times I don't think people know what they're doing with it and how to use that data correctly. But it's not dismissing it because also then you've got uh, traditional scouting where it's, it's someone going out there and watching a player or the, the gut feeling comes into it as well. And that can also be equally dangerous as well. So it's trying to get that balance together. I think even when John and myself, when we, we was John mentioned there earlier about doing our uh, FA talent ID, when they was talking about, um, and it was the early days of the FA talent ID, and they was talking about oh, England's new DNA now that we're now focused more on possession and keeping the ball. Um, we must retain it now and someone like that and, and, and we've looked at them and said oh yeah our data has gone up by about 20% our possession's improved by about 20% uh, so we're, we're on the right track and I'm like are you really? I don't, I don't know is that depending how you use that data again because your pass completion rate can be absolutely fantastic if you're knocking it around in your own half your position uh, down the other end of the pitch you can have 100% pass completion um, there was a player I know from the, the English Premier League a certain goalkeeper that was offered to a, a club in America and they looked at his data and they went to him, no, he's not of our, uh, no, he's not good enough. Um, his data doesn't really match what our, what we're looking for in the MLS. And you're looking thinking, this guy's playing in the Premier League at the highest level. He's playing with one of the top clubs now. He's playing against better opponents, better opposition. Him conceding the goal in that league is probably... It's probably more commonplace than a goal. Would he concede the same goal in the MLS? Potentially not, because of the standards of the different strike and different opponents you're playing against. All these things come into play. So when you're using data, it's how you use it. Um, and I said, if you can use it correctly and, and get the right formula and use it for the right playing positions and so on, fantastic. We can really back something up there. Data and real eye scout in live matches, albeit video, they do have to work together. I mean, I know they're talking a lot about Brighton here in the UK now using a fantastic bit with the data and using it. And they have been very, very successful with the data there. Also, Brighton have a huge scouting network as well. Just on that subject, do you think it's just a case that it's more convenient and easier for the likes of a, an agent or a recruiter or a club official to rely on stats alone? because there's not a lot of groundwork behind it. They can go to a computer, they can go to a specific platform, put in the information on a player and pretty much generate stats that make it easier to promote that player. Do, do you think it's just a, an element of convenience for them all? 
um, selling a player with data and as an agent trying to support. Yeah, if, if, if the stats are good, uh, an agent could use them as well. Most obvious one, yeah, he's got he's got seven uh, seven goals this year and got 14 assists. That says an awful lot straight away. Okay, yeah, okay, I'm interested. Okay, well, what type of player is he? Does he fit into what the club need? Do they play with wingers? Yeah, it's great. He, he gets, he said he got all these assists last year from crosses. Yeah, unfortunately, our striker's only five foot six. Um, so that doesn't actually fit into what we're, we're after. Um, if you've got a winger that will come inside on his on his stronger foot and maybe put through balls in, that's what we're after. And I've gone to forums and my scout forums and so on. And you're there and, and as a chief scout agent speaks, yeah, I've got a player here for you and this, you, you need to see this guy and so on. And I'm like, that's fine. But you don't really know what our requirements are. What do we need? What kind of players? Um, the, the one I find the hardest, and I don't know how, this is the, the, the not bug bound, one I I think is the hardest one, and I think agents are, are trying to, the same method, and it's still happening to be, I guarantee it's on now as well, is the agent sending a video of their player to a club. It doesn't really, unless the guy is a centre forward and he's scoring lots of goals, you're considering goals in it, right, okay, that catches the eye. You're going to send me a, a video of a right winger and he puts a couple of crosses and puts a couple of through balls in and I thought, yeah, looks like something there. But I know full well you haven't shown the clip where he hasn't tracked back, he hasn't followed his opponent. But show me the clip where he's crossed it and he sliced it into the crowd. Um, so again, I don't know. This is the one. I, I, this is the one I'll be more interested in. It's how can a, an agent package a profile of a player um, to a club that will be actually give a true picture of the player. We hear in the agents world, a lot of agents say, I recommended this player to this club and he got signed by another club now as a star, etc. Have you, Jed, put forward a play or strongly recommended a, a player to a club or to an agent and they fail to act on those recommendations and they ultimately miss the opportunity of a good player? Yeah, uh, it, it would have happened to every single um, scout I've already worked with as well um, but it, it happened, it's happened many times and, and and it's just part of the past it was just something you add yeah when I went to, to work for West Ham and it was, it was my first real recruiting department I was involved in and there were certain things we did there so Martin Glover was my my boss who's the chief scout at Leicester City now was at Samson at Everton the recruitment the way things were done now I thought oh wow this is great great to be involved in this and I thought wow this, this is this is the norm where you'd go in, you'd watch players, you'd do these huge databases. It was only then when you step away from there and you have discussions with people, other people in football and, and other clubs, then you realise what we were doing there was not the norm. I was very fortunate. I was part of a very well-oiled, good machine there. Um, and interesting, when I was at Grimsby, so the last year I was there, well, I had multiple managers. My manager, Paul Hurst, had moved on to Shrewsbury at that time and I had different managers coming in and it was a, a turnover. So I had four managers in one season and then there was a player and I went to watch lots of under-23s football then and there was a, a certain 18-year-old playing centre-back uh, for West Ham's under-23s team. And the player I watched everyone I thought, this guy's okay. You know what? Get a bit of life experience under him there. Maybe would he be interested? Would a club want to get him out? Get him playing men's football now rather than 23s? And then I put the name forward to, to my the manager at that time. And I said, look, have a look at this player. I said, it's well worth it's worth a conversation. I'm down here anyway. It's my old club as well. We worth a conversation. And then I went for him. Um, obviously, Mr. Declan Rice has moved on quite a bit since then. It was like a month later, he made his, his or two months later, he made his um, Premier League debut and never looked back there. So that's a case example. Was he, would he have come? I'm not sure. But it, it would have been an opportunity. I, I think as a young, a young player, that club and I mean, at West Ham works. Yeah, they want to get life experience there. Get away from here. Get away from London. Go out to the other side of the country. There, there's a there's a lot of players, but yeah, there's also lots of ones that got away. But also, you can never gauge. There's there's maybe names you put forward that are going to be a fantastic player, and it, it doesn't work. Jed, that prompts me to ask a question with regards to your S4 scouting courses and the the education of of scouts and a wide variety of people come on those courses including a number of agents and I've done quite a few of the courses myself and I highly recommend it to anybody who's got an interest in scouting or wants to be a scout or is an agent and wants to develop that knowledge and understanding of scouting a bit more 
But one of the things and one of your mantras that sticks with me from the courses is the fact that you can only report and react on what you see on that day. Now, that obviously leaves it open to you missing a player that may not just be performing that day. So you can't report that they're a good player. So I'm going to spin it on its head here and ask you, (laughs) and I'll use a football technical term here, the biggest player you've gone to scout and you reported back that they're an actual duffer, but they've gone on to be a superb, superb player that you've Oh, blimey. I I went to watch Millwall. I think they've got a report here somewhere uh, when I was at West Ham watching uh, Centre Millwall on a Tuesday night. There was a player that was a little bit talked about, a young player out on loan, a striker. Okay, I watched him. Was he that quick? Not really. Did he seem to be that mobile? Not that really there. Did he look that lively? Not really. Um, if you okay, seems all right. I don't know if he's got much of a career in football there. Uh, Mr. Harry Kane. Uh, so that's that's an example of one now. And again, that's just watching a player over, like you said there, watch over one game. Does he? Did anything really catch the eye there? Not particularly. Uh, <laughs> uh, if I'd watched him, maybe have four or five games. Would I have seen something different? Possibly at that time. But yeah, that, that's that's a case example here of a player. You're seeing a player over one game and you think, was there anything there? Because you look at you still think of Harry Kaven now. Is he that quick? Is he that not not overly? He's not a he's not a Harland in there before. But you can finish you can you can go in or you, you do a report on a player and then uh, the player plays against the club and the manager goes, Yeah, you you tell me that player the other day, he didn't cross the ball very well. Uh, but again, Starlord doesn't put crosses in the box. But when he played against Stars, he put loads of crosses in there. He goes, yeah, I won at that game. But the game I went to, this is what he did. Uh, he didn't cross it. It could be a number of reasons. That day, they, whatever, he could be playing on the other side of the pitch, whatever it was. But again, you can only write what you see. But this is also why you have to go and watch a player four or five times. Mm-hmm. Can't dismiss a player one before. I think there's a important lesson there for agents as well to apply that yeah. and to also understand that with scouts. to have that appreciation of what they're looking at. And just again, looking at what you've learned from the scouting courses and having agents and intermediaries and wannabe agents enroll on the scouting courses. A two-part question here for you. What do you think are the scouting skills that agents tend to lack and the mistakes they make when it comes to scouting initially? And what do you think are the key scouting skills that would be most beneficial to agents? Um, interesting one. Um, is, uh, you know, something I, I, I see now, this is this is something, and it, it was quite an interesting one. So we, we get lots of agents come and do in, um, our workshops. Um, maybe it should be a few more as well coming on there. Uh, and guys that came in quite enthusiastic, wanted to learn, wanted to understand the game better, wanted to understand recruitment. And I, and I, sort of, and I like that. I mean, me as a young coach, I, I travelled all over uh, all over the UK and then all over Europe as well. I wanted to learn. I wanted to meet the best managers, wanted to meet the best coaches. I was very fortunate. Um, Don Howe, Dave Sexton, Malcolm Allison, and Bobby Robson was my biggest uh, influence. I, I studied with him in Holland and watching regularly at training PSVI and over before he came to the UK. Um, so for me, I, I, I wanted to learn. So when I see, meet an agent that wants to come and do the workshops, and I want to learn, I want to understand, I think, great. Brilliant. I love that attitude straight away. You're not going in thinking, well, I understand the business already. I know it all. How many you want to learn straight away? Regarding the, the agents coming onto the, the workshops with me, yeah, they said, when I do the workshops, when you're watching football, you can't watch the game from the eyes of a fan. And if you start thinking on those lines from a football fan, I understand the game, I watch it. Um, yeah, I know the game inside out. You're really on. Um, not necessarily picking out and understanding the game. There's so much more to it that we never, as a football fan or just a football enthusiast, will understand about the game. Uh, and that's why when the agents come on there, I say, okay, right, these are the traits that we're looking for, particularly from a, as a centre-back. These are the little points. Maybe delve a little bit further into it and understand it, um, which also then, um, well, what now I'm involved with uh, the Association of Football Coaches and Scouts, can you tell us a little bit more about how that came about? So it, it, it kind of goes back to, I said, um, it wasn't just scouts, but I, I get 
coaches coming in to do the, the workshops as well. They said, like, like I said there before, I'm sharing my experiences of the game and the people I've learned from and so on. And coaching the scouting, it does, that line is a bit of a line that cu- cuts across each other. It doesn't You don't have to be a, a coach to be a scout. You don't need to be a scout to be a coach. But there is definitely a crossover. Uh, at the beginning of the lockdown, I wrote an e-learning course for, for scouts and created it as a, a scouting course from a, a coach's eye. I wasn't sure what a reception was, and the reception was pretty good, to be honest. It was a fantastic course. No one's done anything like this. And then more and more people said, said no, actually, what you've created, that's actually a coaching course. I said, well, what do you mean by that? I said, no, 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 not in a bad way. I said, that actually really covers teachers, the elements, the fundamentals of actually understanding the game, something that a coach can, can look at. Uh, or someone who's interested in coaching in the sense that it's not creating drills and, and practices, but actually understanding the game. Can you identify good and poor play? Um, so I realised I was starting to get more into the coaching side of things again. So I just thought, okay, right. So I need to sort of tailor what I'm working, not only the, the scouts, but also the coaches, which also then brings in the agents into this as well. Um, and then it seemed to be, okay, right, I need to not just have uh, S4 scout, which is basically for the scouts, AFCAS, I want to get involved with everyone now. Um, a situation where we're going to open up for coaches coming in to coach the coaches, but also the coaches to come in and teach the game to scouts to understand the game better. And if I'm opening the door to scouts, I want agents to come in there as well. Really, you're an agent now. How would you feel now if you've got a top Premier League manager was explained to you or a top Premier League former striker uh, which I will be getting involved as well, to come in there and actually say, right, when I play, this is what the movements we was taught, this is what we should be looking for. Do you understand the game? And there will come with little nuggets, little bits of information there that, uh, a, that a coach, a scout and an agent will take on board. Oh, you know what? I never thought of that before. And maybe look for that trait in a player or look at that in a player that hasn't got that, if that's missing there. Maybe he needs to work on it if you're giving feedback to a player. But also if you spot that little trait, yeah. This is the guy I want to work with because he's got something there that's not just what we do, the general picture of a striker. He's got something extra there. Um, and that's why I want to create this. And this is where we're at the moment in, in the process of putting this together, really. So really trying to create a real wide spectrum of education, but, but by people that have actually done it and been there and they can share the knowledge with people there. Um, and that's, that's where I am at the moment. So that's where AFCAS is at the moment now. Let's, let's see where this goes Thank you for that. Uh, um, Jonathan, any final thoughts? I think what Jed's reiterated there and reinforced there is that it's about the appreciation and understanding of the various roles. There's certain shared skill sets and that appreciation of one another's roles can benefit both groups and also others in football. So I'd like to thank Jed for taking the time to come on the podcast and speak to us and give us that insight from a scouting viewpoint. Uh, don't know if there's anything you want to add there, Peter. No, no, thank you, Jed. Really, thank you for your insights. And you sort of brought closer the agent-scout relationship and dynamics that need now, especially in this day and age, where data plays a big role, club requirements. You mentioned requirements, understanding the requirements of the club, and that's what agents need to do as much as scouts. So there are some really commonalities here about working together. So really thank you for your insights and um for coming on the podcast fantastic thank you no, thank, thank you for inviting me i said i've listened to your last few podcasts which been really interesting as well uh i did listen last night to your uh interview with colin and he was talking about the release clauses yeah, and i was i'm just wishing when i worked a mad club here at the one year i was there i wish i had a release clause in my contracts when i worked there because i would actually bought myself out um i could have got out of that contract at that point there um, so no guys keep up the great work um, and thank you very much for inviting me brilliant Jed thanks very much speak to you soon and there we have it fascinating interview there with Jed Searson getting a viewpoint from a scouting perspective not just on agents but also the overlap between agents and scouts so plenty to consider there yes a lot to consider there we know that um, from Jed's interview that agents and scouts will probably be working more than ever together 
FIFA's allowed other services where agents can charge for other services to players and clubs, and one of those services is scouting. But what really was interesting with Jed was the eye test to see a player and their character versus the data. But I've got an interesting article, Jonathan, that I that talks about the data and how players use that to negotiate their deals, and in particular not using an agent as well. And you've probably heard about the story, and it's Kevin De Bruyne, Manchester City player. And the, the story is an article by Alex Brotherton in May of this year in Sports Bible, where the title of the story is Expert Discusses Trick Kevin De Bruyne, De Bruyne Used to Secure Huge Manchester City Contract. Now, we know that in 2021, Kevin De Bruyne negotiated his own Manchester City contract with probably a lawyer and also a data analyst, but didn't use an agent and was able to get a very good paying contract with Manchester City. However, what we didn't know was he renegotiated that contract this year using the same sort of method, data and statistics in order to gain advantage at that negotiating table. And he increased his salary by using data. So he broke it down to show that in the last two years, since the 2021 negotiation to this year, he's been able to improve his statistics, his data, his performances, and show that to Manchester City and get a, a big increase in his salary. I don't believe that Kevin De Bruyne will be the last player using data. And in particular, he, he hired a data analytics company to help him negotiate his contract. And I think this is, especially for the top level, where there's so many data points and so many information available that these players who can afford to get consultants also obviously have a, a sports lawyer or a football lawyer to negotiate parts of that contract will be using their data to secure a wage that they believe reflect their role at the club. Yeah, I think for a lot of people who've been involved in the agency world and the football world as a whole, most of us have used platforms like Transfer Lab, which is the one in this instance, like Scout, like Instats, Comparisonator, which you've mentioned in the past. And you've got also Huddle and Scout7, and there's others. Now, they've used them either on their own or in combination to get the best results. Now, I've had a brief look at Transfer Lab, and I will stress it's a brief look, and also some of the other offerings at Analytics FC, which is the overarching brand for Transfer Lab offer. And this includes Signature, which I think is the offering De Bruyne used, albeit a more customised approach specifically for him because he's at an elite level. And I can see a place for all these offerings from analytics fc in the football world not just as a benefit for players but also for clubs and a key benefit for agents in fact looking at analytics fc they actually list several clubs and agencies as clients i have to be honest and say i've used similar data to help me in the past and my clients in marketing their abilities to a club or demonstrate their value when it comes down to contract renegotiation or actually a transfer and any agent who doesn't use the resources that they have available to them, along with the scouting reports, which we spoke to Jed about, I think they're doing their clients and themselves a massive disservice. Yeah, I agree with that. A lot of agents now need to compile the data points for their clients to really help the negotiation. And clubs sometimes expect that, especially at the higher level, when they know what their needs are in certain positions and how that player could fit in. So I think that is very important. But on the other side of it, I think this story, and you referenced one source when you presented the story, um, but I've got it from a couple of the larger newspapers in the UK about the story. And I think we need to look at the surrounding details. And that includes the player is widely reported as happy at the club and recognised it was potentially his last big contract. I think he'll be... 35 when this contract ends in 2025 there was rumored to be discontent when the salary was compared to other high value players elsewhere the player at the time was a star at the club and a key player so would they want to lose him or have him unhappy the club's own analysts at a club the size of manchester city 
would have no doubt compared the data with their huge statistical and data resources. And if it didn't match that, that could have even damaged the player's standing and reputation at the club. The player's father is quite heavily involved in the career of the player. Now, there's nothing not wrong with that if it's healthy objectives. And as you rightly mentioned, the player used reputable legal advisors and potentially others with the deal to assist in the negotiation and the planning. So how much of the agent's tasks were actually covered by these commercial and legal representatives? And note, we mentioned in past episodes about Rock Nation. Now, Rock Nation are also associated with Kevin De Bruyne, and they were probably looking at the commercial elements. Analytics FC, with just one of those specialists used to substantiate the value of the player to the club and lead to a new contract. Now, I'm pretty sure the player didn't just walk in and slap a statistical report on Pep's desk and and he responded by saying, how much do you want? And that is the tone and the narrative presented by some in the media. And the final point is, and this is something that those who've just read this story might not actually know, there was a total breakdown in the relationship with the player's former agents. We won't go into too much detail on that because there's other matters ongoing. So potentially the contract was null and void. So if the contract was null and void with the agent not long before, was this the perfect storm to renegotiate the contract? That there were no agency fees for either the player or the club, therefore freeing up finances to put a better offer on the table. Very interesting observations, Jonathan. All I can add there is that going from Jed's interview and the De Bruyne article, we're both uh, uh, supporters of holistic agents, agents who provide mentorship, guidance, contract negotiation, the whole gamut. We're not here about, as you mentioned before, transactional. But I think as agents, we need to be better prepared and data is very important. And we have the tools to provide that, but also the clubs have the tools. They can check, cross-check every uh, all the data. So that's that's also an option. But Jed also provided, I think, an important, it's also an eye and character test as well about how players are presented because it just can't be the data, it's about the person. So uh, I think with those final observations, conclusions, I think we can say that scouting, data and agency are going to be working together more and more in the whole negotiation space. And with that, um, we time to close the show and this episode of The Agent's Angles come to an end. We hope that you found it interesting, if not useful, about scouting, about De Bruyne, about research and data. Please don't forget to subscribe and follow the agent's angle. And if there are any topics you want covered or any guests you want us to get on, please contact the agent's angle, me or Jonathan, and give us any specific questions you want us to follow up. We will do our best to facilitate all our listeners' requests. Bye from me for now. Take care, everyone. Have a good week. The purpose of the Agents Angle podcast is to provide news, information and facilitate discussion on regulatory matters, policies, business trends and issues affecting football agents worldwide. The opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only and should never be considered legal or professional advice. Furthermore, the views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Thank you for listening.